welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who manifest your almighty power above all by pardoning and showing mercy, bestow, we pray, your grace abundantly upon us, and make those hastening to attain your promises heirs to the treasures of heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Numbers. The Lord came down in the cloud. He spoke with Moses, but took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. When the spirit came on them, they prophesied, but not again. Two men stayed back in the camp. One was called Eldad and the other Medad. The spirit came down on them. Though they had not gone to the tent, their names were enrolled among the rest. These began to prophesy in the camp. The young man ran to tell this to Moses. Look, he said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then said Joshua, the son of Nun, who had served Moses from his youth, My Lord Moses, stop them. Moses answered him, Are you jealous on my account? If only the whole people of the Lord were prophets, and the Lord gave his spirits to them all. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The rule of the Lord is to be trusted. It gives wisdom to the simple. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The fear of the Lord is holy, abiding forever. The decrees of the Lord are truth, and all of them just. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. So in them your servant finds instruction. Great reward is in their keeping. But who can detect all his errors? From hidden faults acquit me. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. From presumption restrain your servant, and let it not rule me. Then shall I be blameless, clean from the grave. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. A reading from the letter of St. James. An answer for the rich. Start crying, weeping for the miseries that are coming to you. Your wealth is all rotting. Your clothes are all eaten up by moths. All your gold and silver are corroding away. And the same corrosion will be your own sentence and eat into your body. It was a burning fire that you stored up as your treasure for the last days. Labourers mowed your fields, and you cheated them. Listen to the wages that you kept back, calling out, 
realize that the cries of the reaper have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. On earth, you have a life of comfort and luxury. In the time of slaughter, you went on eating to your heart's content. It was you who condemned the innocent and killed them. They offered you no resistance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Your word, O Lord, is truth. Make us holy in the truth. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw a man who was not one of us casting out devils in your name. And because he was not one of us, we tried to stop him. But Jesus said, You must not stop him. No one who works a miracle in my name is likely to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you a cup of water to drink just because you belong to Christ, then I tell you solemnly, he will most certainly not lose his reward. But anyone who is an obstacle to bring down one of these little ones who have faith would be better thrown into the sea with a great millstone round his neck. And if your hand should cause you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and go to hell, into the fire that cannot be put out. And if your foot should cause you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye should cause you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die, nor their fire go out. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh. Well, there's no doubt about it. The Lord Jesus means business. He's certainly not soft-pedalling today. He's giving us the full weight of the gospel. Uh, but remember, gospel means good news, right? What he's giving us is good news. We start off with this situation where John, the apostle, comes to Jesus and says, well, there's someone who's using your name and he's not one of us. So uh, we tried to put a stop to it. And I think this kind of frames the whole gospel because what's John doing? He's making a demarcation. Those who are in, those who are out. Um, and I suppose in some level, they're, they're probably a little bit jealous that uh, here's a guy doing a you know pretty amazing work, um, you know, exercising a demon uh, in Jesus' name, when in actual fact he's not one of the closest of Jesus' company. You can almost imagine the apostles going, "Hey, hang on a second, that's our job." Who does this bloke think he is? Kind of exposes a bit of a tendency which belongs to humanity to. Establish union with people by means of exclusion of others. 
We can feel like we're part of the in-crowd when we're able together, able to point to those who are out. And you can kind of feel this going on among the apostles, right? That those who aren't among the twelve need to be exposed and declared as the outsiders. And, you know, it has the consequence of strengthening the identity of the twelve. But here's the thing. This drawing together of the twelve isn't done here through communion, but through division. It's a tendency that lies deep within our fallen human nature, and it repeats itself over and over again. In fact, this is a common theme that's brought up by um, Bishop Robert Barron. Um, I'm sure you've all heard of Word on Fire Ministries and no doubt heard many of his homilies, and it's a theme that he returns to over and over again because I think it must have been a very formative moment for him when he was exposed to the work of a French philosopher called René Girard. And uh, it seems to have made such a deep impact on Bishop Barron because he, he talks about it a lot. And in fact, this is where I uh, got exposure to René Girard. And he's famous for highlighting a mechanism within human relationships that's highlighted by scapegoating. You see, in ancient Israel, the ritual of scapegoating was a ceremony of atonement. So the high priest on the Day of Atonement would cast all the sins of Israel on a goat. Everything that was poisonous in the relationships of family and community would kind of be ritually placed on the head of the goat, and then the goat would be expelled into the desert where it went off to die. And so, you know, groups are able to foster some sense of communion amongst themselves by joining in the mutual accusation of one or more victims. You put it all onto the goat, and that helps us be together. Now, we see this dynamic most evidently on display during the Passion, when Jesus is the innocent lamb, and he takes upon himself the sins of the world and is driven outside, driven out of the human family. He's ostracized to the point of death. It's no accident that Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. He's like the scapegoat driven into the desert. Now, in a perverse way, this unites the accusers. The crowd, they all chant with one voice, crucify him. We hear that the long rivalry between Pilate and Herod was resolved in condemning Christ. But it's a dysfunctional unity. It's brought about by accusation, victimization, violence. The scapegoat, yes, brings a certain union, but it's an unstable union. It falls apart too easily. Now, Jesus too has come to bring communion. He's come to proclaim the kingdom of God, that new communion of humanity that would break the cycle of scapegoating and establish an authentic communion of love. The communion that's brought about through scapegoating, just like the communion of the crowd calling for Christ's blood, like the communion between Herod and Pilate over Christ's condemnation, it appears to be a true bond, a genuine relationship. But in fact, it's predicated on accusation. It's a parody of love, 
and it's not the pattern of the kingdom of God. So here we see John seeks to draw a clear distinction between those who are in and those who are out by pointing the finger of accusation towards the one who casts out devil in Christ's name. He seeks to draw the 12 together. He points to the ones who are out in order to promote solidarity among those who are in. But this isn't the path of the kingdom of God. And it's not the mission of the Messiah in proclaiming this kingdom. The principle of communion in the church is love, not exclusion. It's charity that binds the followers of Christ, not the dynamic of accusation and division. Now, here's the point. That kind of love is hard. It's painful. It's difficult. But the payoff is extraordinary. In fact, the Lord says, you know, even if you do something as simple as give a cup of water, you'll not lose your reward. But in contrast to the one who welcomes is the one who obstructs. Jesus describes this person in the gospel as a scandalon, a scandal, a stumbling block. He says, anyone who is an obstacle to bring down one of these little ones who have faith would be better thrown into the sea with a great millstone round his neck. The scandal on the stumbling block is not merely a hurdle that impedes, but it's an obstacle that repels. The scandal on creates opposition between people. It distinguishes between them and us. And Christ's insistent command to the disciples is not to be a scandal to the little ones. Do not repel those who are young in faith. To translate the text a little more literally, our Lord says, If your hand scandalizes you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and to go to hell, into the fire that cannot be put out. And if your foot scandalizes you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye scandalizes you, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die nor their fire go out. There's an important insight here. To be a scandal to another means to divide, to impede, to repel their path to faith and communion. It's better to give of oneself than to cause scandal. It's better to give of ourselves for the sake of communion than to keep ourselves whole and be an obstacle to love. So if I'm a man or a woman of communion, then... There's a great effort that goes in maintaining communion. It's not easy. Relationships with others can be complex and messy. None of us are perfect. And yet we can be tempted, like John, to act as the police, to enforce the rules, to point out imperfection, and to delineate those who are in from those who are out. No, says Jesus. Such judgment will obstruct the young. Such Faction-making will stifle the budding faith. It's 
costly to seek after communion. It requires love, a gift of self, an eye, a hand, a foot. We all know that there's no true love without sacrifice. A love without cost is a love without value. Cut off your hand, your foot, tear out your eye rather than saying you are outside, you do not belong. Even in Jesus' time, there were difficulties and complexities. After all, what relationship did this man casting out demons with? Je- After all, what relationship did this man casting out demons in Jesus' name have with the apostles and the nascent communion of the church? It's obscure. It's hidden. It's strange. But we mustn't be the ones to police the border of the church, but to draw into deeper communion. Not to be a scandal to others, but a source of unity. And so Jesus tells us to remove from ourselves all that is within us that seeks division. All that is within us that would seek to look toward others with suspicion or condemnation. If it's my eye, my hand, my foot which obstructs the other from drawing close to Christ, get rid of it. Now, the Lord isn't asking us to do anything which he's not prepared to do himself. In order to establish the communion of the church, he gave not only his eye, hand and foot, but his whole body, blood, soul and divinity. This is indeed a precious and costly communion. But how often do we expect others to fit into our patterns and our expectations? How often do we expect perfection from them before we're willing to receive them? How often do we expect perfect faith and orthodoxy before we acknowledge them brothers and sisters? How often do we demand like-mindedness before we regard the other as a neighbour? This isn't how Christ loves The Lord knows we're not perfect and that we've got a long way to go, but he receives us, knowing that we can progress toward that which is true, good and beautiful. So St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't expect us to meet a certain standard in order to be worthy of his love. He received us in our complex, messy sinfulness. And we need to do the same for others. Our task isn't to patrol the borders of the church, declaring who's in and who's out. It's to receive all who seek the Lord. We mustn't scandalise them, impede or repel them, simply because they don't fit our own pattern. Such is the conduct which divides It might find us working in opposition to Jesus who seeks to receive these little ones. And if we stand between Jesus and these little ones, well, he gives us a pretty stern warning. It's better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone round one's neck than to be an obstacle of the path of these little ones. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.